everybody and welcome to episode number 130 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike. I am Mike and with me as always is Hannah. How are you this evening? Very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm starting to feel a little Christmassy. I feel like I can feel the, I've been listening to Christmas music at work. I hope you can feel my eyes rolling. I know. I mean, enthusiasm and childlike wonderment is such an unattractive quality in a person, isn't it, Hannah? It is when uh, there is still so much to organise. Um, I love that. Just my... get someone else to do it like I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've completely outsourced that. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the buck stops with you, doesn't it? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, if I until don't the do kids it, are older and stronger. Done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You need to. Yeah, uh, yeah we need to get um, some help. But it's, yes. I, it's, it is feeling Christmassy. We have the Christmas tree up already because I had some work to do and I needed an activity to keep our kids occupied for the afternoon so uh, they put the tree up and a tree erecting was the uh, yeah. the way to go yeah I've just got two or three more sort of annoying work things to get out of the way and then it's three weeks of holiday and I would imagine knowing us a hell of a lot of podcasting uh, oh, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of podcasting we'll, be, we'll probably be a complete season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, by the time uh, <laughs> 2023 rolls in. But, uh, but no, so tonight, um, well, what are we talking about tonight, Hannah? Tonight is Mike's Sorbet Pick, mm-hmm. which is the pilot episode of the TV series from 1996, Millennium. Good year, um, The synopsis says, a former FBI profiler with the ability to look inside the mind of a killer begins working for the mysterious Millennium Group which investigates serial killers, conspiracies, the occult, and those obsessed with the end of the millennium. So from it that... Is, dis- oh, no, go on. Sorry, it's, um, it was created by Chris Carter. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, do you say who wrote and directed the episode just before I launch into... <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so the pilot, aptly named the pilot... Uh, the synopsis for this episode says Frank Peter Watts from the Millennium Group and Lieutenant Bletcher and Detective Gablehouse from the Seattle PD are after the Frenchman, a sexually confused serial killer obsessed with prophecies. God, this is a spoiler, eh? Strippers and gay male hookers. Okay, that is extremely spoilery, that is. Is it? Right, okay, so it is directed by the nut job, David Nutter. And written by Icarus Carter. So, I mean, from the description of the series, it will not come as probably very little surprise to people that this is a spin-off of The X-Files. Um, it's made by the same people who made The X-Files, same network, everything. Like, literally, writers, directors, editors, um, cinematographers, the music. It's, it's made by the exact same production house simultaneously and with the X-Files. I was going to say, why did they do it at the same Because point? Chris Carter had the biggest hit in television history on his hands and Fox came to him and said, what else do you want to do? And um, he went, I want to do more of the same. Yeah, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are slight differences which we'll get into in the conversation, but basically, yeah, I mean, it's... it's If the X-Files is Silence of the Lambs, this is Manhunter. You know, right, it's... Okay. Uh, but it's it's... A couple of little bits and pieces I mentioned about it is... Well, actually, I'll save it until we talk about the show, but what I will say is why I picked it. Um, I picked it for two reasons. 
One, Hannah and I are watching the X-Files at the moment, so I think that this is just an interesting thing to watch as part of that. You know, it's a little bit like, uh, again, to use one of my sort of beloved uh, music analogies, it's like, you know, if you're listening to the back catalogue of a band, it's quite nice to hear their sort of like side project stuff as well. And that's what this is. And and it'll be interesting to have that greater context to the X-Files as well. But also, mainly, because I think that this, and this is why I think this is a real Hannah and Mike wheelhouse, is that this is one of the great forgotten shows of the 90s. And I I lump this together with shows like Murder One and um, American Gothic, these really well-made shows that, that, because I don't think they changed television, they weren't like Twin Peaks or Lost or, you know, The Sopranos or any of these shows. They, They didn't kind of reinvent the wheel, but they did what they did very well. Like, I mean, Murder One, you know, for example, uh, which Hannah and I watched um, about, that was about a year ago, it was just before Christmas last year. And Murder One's a great example of that because it did some interesting things, you know, the, the season-long story arc, stuff like that. But ultimately, it still existed in that genre of Hill Street Blues and um, LA Law, you know. And I think that Millennium's one of those shows where I think if people actually, it's not available, it's not streaming anywhere. I had to work really hard to find it. Right. Um, it's never been remastered in HD. Um, it's it's not on any of the streaming platforms. It's it's difficult to find on IMDb. You know, uh, which it is, considering yeah. that the pilot episode of this was, and it's funny, it's kind of analogous to Agents of Shield in a way. In that the pilot episode was one of the most watched TV shows that year because of the fact the that creative. it was the, it was the new show. It was a new show yeah. by the guy who did the X Files. And it, you know, and it's it's a spin-off. Mm. Um and so but what happened was like Agents of Shield, um people were like, Oh, that's great, but I wanted the thing that it's the spin-off of. Right. You know, people wanted Mulder and Scully, you know, and yeah. people wanted the MCU films when they watched Agents of Shield. Mm. So it kind of faded. And what is interesting is that the show it ran for three seasons, three twenty-four episode seasons. Um, it would probably have got cancelled at the end of its first season if it wasn't for Chris Carter. I think they gave him uh, a couple of extra chances because he was making so much money for them with the X-Files. Yeah. Um, and ironically, the show never made it to the millennium. Um, and that's a plot element of the show. Oh. Um, but they resolve the storyline is completed in the X-Files. Oh. So they bring the characters from Millennium into the X-Files in the final episode of the X-Files before New Year's Eve 1999, so they can end Millennium. But they end right. Millennium in the X-Files. That's so weird. what? when you uh, – I remember when it was released on video, Millennium, the final episode of the final cassette is an episode of the X-Files because that – and that episode of the X-Files is called Millennium. Right. You know, um, so it's a, it's an interesting story. So it does have closure, but it has closure in another show, mm. um, which is kind of interesting. But um, that's very Buffy and Angel. Well, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. It, it kind of is, and, and the connections are much looser. Like it's not apparent that this is set in the same universe as the X Files until um, characters from the X Files do start to show up eventually. But it's mm. not hugely obvious from the beginning, aside from the fact that stylistically it's so similar and. You know, it's obviously, um, you know, aesthetically very similar. And, and the idea is the, the fact that there's uh, conspiracy and all this. But the big difference with Millennium is it's much less clear 
whether there's anything supernatural happening. Like with the X-Files, you've got, you know, werewolves and monsters. Yeah. This is much more like Twin Peaks in the way that you're like, is it metaphorical or yeah. is it actually supernatural? Or is this a literal thing? Yeah, like, yeah. and it's it's much subtler with its supernatural elements. Like, you could probably watch, somebody might tune into it and not realise that they're watching a science fiction show, you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's that's why I picked it and I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, quick reminder that we do appreciate feedback, which you can send us at rewatchprojectpodcast.gmail.com. And also, if you listen to us on YouTube, you can leave comments there and we will read those out as feedback if uh, it feels appropriate to do so. Um, and also, we appreciate um, uh, positive, preferably, reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please do check out our friend shows, namely Chinstroker vs. Punter, His Film, Her Movie, Film Bastards, The Good, The Bad and the Yard, Talk With That Rhythm podcast and Entertainment Landfill. New listeners, if there are any, because you might have come along just for the millennium, um, Quick uh, sort of overview of our show is um, we rewatch our favourite franchises. We're currently rewatching Marvel's Agents of Shield. We are we've just finished season five, so we're doing one of our uh, trademark sorbet episodes where we just do something a little bit off topic. We covered Conan the Barbarian uh, just a few days ago, and we're now doing the pilot Millennium, as you know. Next, we will be covering The Terminator, which is one of Hannah's picks, Indeed. and then we'll be covering the pilot episode of Miami Vice before we go back into season six of Marvel's Agents of Shield. Um, Another feature on our show is feedback, which we're going to get to in a moment. Um, but I will put down the, I'll hopefully remember to do it this time, um, the timing so you can uh, skip forward to uh, the Millennium uh, conversation proper, if that's what you're here for. But otherwise, Hannah, do we have any feedback? Indeed, we do. Careful. These YouTube comments are to do with Conan the Barbarian. Oh, excellent. Uh, Silver Surfer says, Crumb! <laughs> Wise words. Um, he goes on to say, all the gods, they cannot sever us. If I were dead and you were still fighting for life, I'd come back from the darkness, back from the pit of hell to fight at your side. There isn't a more romantic line in film history, in my opinion. And coincidentally, our wedding bags as well. <laughs> I might point out <laughs> Whatever. Uh, he also says, I have a great story for you about the origins of Conan, as told by John Milius, and it's crazy. Apparently, Robert E. Howard said that Conan the Barbarian actually appeared in his room and threatened him to write his story or he would cut him down. Robert said he wrote for 24 hours straight and never looked directly at Conan once due to his immense fear. Whether an artistic exaggeration, mental disorder or genuine experience, I find this origin to be fascinating. Yeah, they talk about that in that documentary I watched and they... Um, John Milius and Oliver Stone, they talk about how they refer to, to Howard as a kook. Yeah. So like he's a, and this is coming from a couple of, they're, they're not exactly, you know, straight and narrow themselves. Yeah. Uh, and he said, yeah, that he believed, he believed that when he wrote that Conan was in the room, he had an axe, and that if he stopped writing or turned around and looked at him, he'd kill him. And he, he was writing Conan's story, or Conan would kill him, and he, he believed this. Mm. It's like, okay. Dude. <laughs> well, that's like method writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I wonder what, what the equivalent would have been if you'd been writing like erotic fiction. It's like, <laughs> if you turn what, around, I'm, just, no, I'm, I'm just even better thinking Just someone it. absolutely furiously wanking in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Jack Dubbs says, a Twin Peaks rewatch would be right up my alley. Here's the situation. 
Years ago, I bought the complete Twin Peaks on Blu-ray and it has sat on a shelf gathering dust ever since. If you lovely people were to start covering it post-Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then it might give me some incentive to blow the dust off and stick the first disc in the player. But there's no pressure on either of you. Watch what you want to watch. I'm sure I'll get round to watching it eventually. But it might be fun to watch it at the same time. Take care. Well, that's a great I'm curious to know, is it just that Blu-ray set that you've never watched, or have you never watched the show? Oh, yeah. Because it is ambiguous. Clarify. Yes. In the email, because, because I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do Twin Peaks purely because I've sort of, it's one of my favourite things ever, and I've always skirted around it in podcasts, mm. you know, I've never, I've done bits and bobs, I've had people involved you, in the show. You did Twin Peaks episodes on Chinstroker versus Punter. We did an episode where we just talked very generally about Twin Peaks, but we, we didn't, we, we did, did, we did. You begin- did an overview of it. No, we sort of had a chat. We did like a, a sort of off-topic where we talked about Twin Peaks, but we never like watched it and then reviewed it or did anything like that. You know, it's uh, not like what we did we do on Shinstroker versus Spencer or here, where we will watch something and then we will you know break it down and discuss it. We've never right. done that, you know. Okay. Uh, and also the I guess the other advantage of Twin Peaks is there's not a huge amount of it. Mm. Um, you know, so it does. How many episodes? It's thirty. For two seasons, yeah. The first, the first season is eight episodes, and the second season is twenty-two. Right, um, that's quite the difference, isn't it? Well, it was one of those things where it was a, one of those shows that they weren't sure, the network weren't sure about. So, like, yeah. oh, we'll give them eight, and then it became like a you know cultural phenomenon. phenomenon, and then mm. uh, you know they they so that they gave them a, a full season. Well, watch the space, but I think it's probably looking more and more likely that yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, we'll end yeah. up doing. Yeah. Um, okay, we also have an email uh, entitled Listener in Sheffield. Mm. Hello, Mike and Hannah. Paul from Sheffield here. Have been a listener for a few months now, and I wanted to email in to let you know that my partner and I are big fans of your podcast and YouTube channel. Yeah. Really enjoy your interviews, and it would be fantastic to get more video stuff from you, but I realize that could be a lot of work. I see Mike does. Not the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I see Mike does music reaction videos on the channel, oh. which are great, by the way. So maybe you could do some geeky reaction stuff. Rewatching some blooper reels, maybe. I have heard you both mention your fondness for bloopers before. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, really looking forward to season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel that, that that is the season that people talk about the least, but it is really interesting and has a great pace. Also looking forward to hearing your Conan app, saving it for work on Monday. And also hearing you talk about Millennium, another great show that seems to have been forgotten. Anyway, big fan and look forward to feeding back more in the future. All the best, Paul. No, hey, forgotten. That's the operative word there. Um, thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. And I'm glad you're enjoying things. We should um, do we should do a reaction well. video to the Agents of Shield bloopers. That'd be good. Um but I mean, isn't it just gonna look like two imbeciles sitting there giggling like well, no, but like it's, it's sparks conversation i mean it's not like um i, I don't think you realize how much crap there is out there on youtube and I <laughs> we could make that crap oh i realize i've got two children yeah. they it's find not all just, kinds of crap reaction videos aren't just somebody sitting there watching it and smiling or laughing or going <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, i think you're taking them a little literally but uh i think that's a great idea yeah. um but no, I agree, I agree about I mean, I'll be very careful what I say about this 
but I agree about season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the fact that it was sort of the first short season that they did. Um, and it kind of obviously starts in a weird place because yeah. it has to kind of get the engine moving again because yeah. the, the show had event- essentially ended. Mm. And then the seventh season is the final season, so it has that advantage. So season six is in a kind of a weird spot. So, I mean, in some ways, I've been thinking this pretty much since we started watching it. Season six is the one that I'm not necessarily looking forward to the most, but I'm kind of the most intrigued mm. to, to rewatch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been looking forward to that. Cool. Okay. Is that everything? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to hit pause. I'm going to put some frigging lights on because it feels like we're seeing absolute pitch darkness almost. And then we will watch the pilot episode of Millennium from 1996. And then we will come back and we will uh, review, react and riff on. Um, but crucially, get Hannah's take on this. I, I have not watched this since it aired in 1996. Right. So uh, my memories are very I have fuzzy. never even heard of it. Um, so um, it's definitely... Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it just didn't air in New Zealand, if it just mm. didn't make it over here. And it was funny. It was on. It was always on... Uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll save that for the conversation. But, yeah, so we're going to hit pause. We're going to watch it. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. So see you shortly. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else you need? And the odd. I've That's seen so bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www.thegoodthebadandtheodd.com. What a beautiful podcast. And we're back. So we just finished watching the pilot episode of Millennium from 1996. I just had a really weird 90s specific flashback as soon as I said that. Um, I might have talked about this on Chinstroker vs. Punter, but around this time, obviously... It was millennium fever. You know, yeah. we're in the late nineties. Everything was about the millennium, and and all about Y two K. Yeah, and pre millennial tension. That was yeah. the other thing, and anxiety around it. And you know, the internet's you know meltdown and or Nostradamus. You know, go, well, you don't hear about Nostradamus anymore. It's as though once we got into the twenty first century, people are like, oh yeah, Nostradamus. I remember um, when I was a kid. Being absolutely terrified. Oh, orchids were. I remember that. Terrified. I will never forget. Nostradamus and nuclear weapons. I I will never forget my mum sitting me down because I I was just a hundred percent spiraling about. Well, it's just going to come true, and everything's going to be terrible. What's the point in anything? Yeah, and her explaining to me that everybody has free will, and you know, just because someone says something's going to happen doesn't mean it will. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Unless it's your mum saying it, in which case it definitely will. Uh, well, but exactly. but the, re- the reason the reason I mention this is the one the one bit of and and it, it hit every element of society. Like anybody under the age of thirty, probably you know, will need explaining. But I remember things like the amount. I mean, uh, Robbie Williams released a song "Millennium," mm. and the song's got nothing to do with that. It's just lyrics, 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 and the chorus is just "Millennium" because it's yeah. like, well, the millennium's coming. It's bankable. Yeah, yeah. Marketable, and I remember Prince is the only one that have cashed in so far. Kebab shops, my local kebab shop <laughs> changed its name to the Millennium Kebab Shop. Yeah, um, but the one thing that 
always comes back to me, and for saying that reminded me was Will Smith released an album called Willennium. Oh, and, I remember and it. I remember the TV adverts for it, and it would have been around this point. And he plays songs for me, and then he jumps onto camera, and he's like, Willennium, like announcing <laughs> the album top. And he looks, and just behind the eyes, you can see just a hint of shame like, or embarrassment. He's like, Willennium. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> it's just, so whenever I hear the word millennium, my memory of millennium is like immediately behind Very it. <laughs> yeah. But um, but anyway, so we've just finished watching the pilot episode of a millennium from. I wonder how many royalties Prince got in nineteen ninety nine. Well, he didn't re-release it. I know, but surely he got royalties from the initial recording maybe i mean it's uh like prs i mean even know. i mean disco 2000 by pulp you know i mean it was it was it was it was all over the shop but uh but yeah no i mean again i mean, a bit I, busted away for that year 3000 well out. yeah i remember uh, yeah they, they weren't very sensible <laughs> about that should they um but yeah i mean prince did not monetize the 1999 release as much as he could have really with in retrospect but anyway yes yeah. so we have just finished watching the the um the pilot episode of uh the first of three seasons worth of pre-millennial tension, the pilot episode of Millennium. Um, Hannah, you have not seen this before. I have not seen this in 26 years, Jesus. Um, <laughs> it does not seem like 26 years ago. And obviously, you know, you've been watching The X-Files. So I'll hand this over to you. What were your initial thoughts of this episode of Tension? Uh, so I've got good and bad things. Okay. Um, nothing, nothing terrible, just, you know, there's... Yeah, pros and cons to it, I think. Um, pros, uh, I thought Lance, Lance Hendrickson, Hendrickson sorry, is um, great. Mm. Um, and I like his kind of, uh, you know, fairly emotionless face for the majority. You know, he's he plays it very stoic mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. Um I kind Earnest, of, yeah, so. I kind of love that in a detective, mm-hmm. um, and, and like you're right, it's it is very Mindhunter, um, Manhunter, Manhunter. Sorry, um, it has that same vibe about you know getting getting into the mind of the killer. Well, the guy and, who played Bletch was in Manhunter, right? He played he was the chief forensic agent in yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, just. Uh, yeah, obviously got those vibes from it, and and I love Manhunter. Um, so that like that was a nice sort of, uh, not nostalgia thing, but it was a nice comparison. Connection. Yeah. Um, wasn't so keen on the wife, and like I said to you, that was I, interesting. I got a major, you're going to be killed at some mm. point vibes. It was all just a bit too happy at the start, mm. but but that it kind of. Flips that because they don't. It's not like yeah. it's not like they die and then that's his origin story and he's like, yeah. right, I will now go on a crusade. If, they if don't it, do that. If it was made now, that would happen. Yeah. Um, well, no, I think especially the way they set it up. Even with, then, I think when I remember when I first watched this, I remember everybody in my house saying exactly the same things, and it was kind of a surprise when it didn't go that route. Yeah. That, oh, he's just going to have a family in it the was, show. You know, it was just all a bit sort of. Oh, I've never been happier in my life, and I'm so happy, 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 and oh, kiss me again, and la la la. Yeah, it's not that I didn't like her. 
I think I didn't like them as a couple. I found them quite jarring, mm. the two of them together. And I don't know, maybe you're supposed to, but I I found it quite hard to connect them as okay. a couple. Um, uh, what else did I like? Um, I liked the visual side of it. Um, I thought the flash, the flashes of, you know, where to start with, you're not sure if he's psychic or mm. if, you know, it it he's sort of. Um, getting flashes from something else. Or if it's or, just like sort of mentalism yeah. or some kind of like heightened intuitive ability. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I like those flourishes and flashes. I thought they were really good. Um, I like how the episode starts kind of in black and white and then comes into colour. Well, the other thing that I do have noticed, when they have establishing shots, it's paused mm. and then it unpauses. Yeah. Like, like it's... Um, and like in this one, like the rain is just hanging in the air, and then it unpauses and it starts falling, and they yeah. do that, and that's an interesting thing. I think the negative for me, and and I can see, uh, like perhaps this is why it wasn't as successful as the X Files. Mm. The X Files has, um, I mean, Mulder and Scully have charisma. Well, there's humour in the X-Files. Yeah, that's the, that's the fundamental but, business. But they're, they're charismatic. They are watchable. And Henriksen is watchable, mm. but he's one person. Yeah. I think know? the thing with Millennium is, and I don't think this is a failing, I think it's a choice, and I think you either like it or you don't. But I think that with Millennium, there was a conscious choice to kind of remove the spoonful of sugar yeah. a little bit. It's the same issue I have with Handmaid's Tale. Um, I really enjoyed watching that to start with but it got to a point where I felt so depressed I had to stop and I feel like I would probably feel the same if I was watching more of this um that without that charisma and lightness of touch and humor it would you'd want to top yourself after about (laughs) four episodes you know like I felt I felt quite depressed by the end of it and not because of the subject matter or, or you know, the threat of someone watching them because, you know, Fringe has that, you know, being watched element mm. in, in, in some of it and, you know, um, you know, finding serial killers and stuff, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't get me down. Um, I've watched lots of things. Well, that's like just that. a genre thing, yeah. isn't it? Um, but, yeah, I, I felt quite... Bogged down by it all by the I end think, of it, I th- and I think that you know that's the strength of the show, is that it really captures that kind of sense of anxiety uh, that you know that sense that maybe history, not literally the end of the world, but the the sense of the end of history, the sense that it's not that the world's going to end, but it's going to explode or something like that, but just that the there's a sickness mm. almost. And I think that the show really captures that feeling that was in the air that we, you know, when you think about, you know, the uh, how much the O.J. Simpson case uh, captured the imagination, the morbidity of that, and how that captured the imagination, the um, the fact that you know a lot of uh, you know music, you know, uh, grunge music and gangster rap and all, mm. there was a, there was a darkness 
Uh, yeah, I I can just I can see why um, fans of the X Files potentially just couldn't connect with it because I've mm. I've come to be all in with the X Files. Well, funnily enough, though, a lot of the stuff that you're saying about this echoes not just specifically, but echoes your thoughts on the pilot of the X Files. Yeah, because I think that the I think the pilot of the X Files didn't have a lot of those elements that would grow mm. in, in the show. But, I but think that, even even in the pilot of the X-Files, you can see the charm that Mulder presents oh, and yeah. you can see much what more a great actress Scully is. Yeah, yeah. You know. and, and also, I mean, just on a basic level, the leads are, they're younger, they're more attractive. There's the, the whole thing is just more... I like, a, I like an older man. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Quite like Lance. Yeah. But no, I but I don't mean it literally, but um but I mean I think that the I think the thing that's in- interesting about watching it now is that the one thing I will push back on a little bit that I'm surprised about is the intensity of Lance Henriksen. You talk about the coldness and that's there, but he does actually bring a hell of a lot of humanity to the role as well. It's it's a it's a weird thing that he manages to do. In the way that, like, he seems really detached, but you can see that the that the reason for that comes from a human place. It's not like a robotic kind yeah, of. Yeah, it, no, it, it, no, but, but, I, I, I didn't mean he was robotic. No, 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 no I, I, I know, you, I know, I know, I know you didn't, and I, I, I'm, I'm not explaining it really very well. But what I'm saying is, is that you were talking about the coldness of the performance, and I agree that's there. But it's a little no, bit like when people. Stoic. Yeah, but it beats it. Yeah, it, okay. But, uh, but okay, well, I'm going to say that I'm talking about you now. People say this okay. about the performance in the show. And it reminds me a little bit of when people say that Blade Runner is a very cold film right. and a very emotionally distant film. I see, see I why, think that's very emotional. I, I see why people think emotional. that. Uh, I see why people think that. Mm. Um, but it isn't. I You've was just about got to say l- emotionful. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got to look. You know, really closely at it, yeah. and, and all the stuff I think with the family at the beginning, and obviously so great. I think what they're trying to do there is show the facade. Mm. He's he's basically all of these awful things have happened, and his solution is I'll buy a big house and I'll paint it yellow. Mm. I'll have a big yellow house, and that will make everything fine. Yeah. So in those early scenes, and I'm I'm probably saying this as somebody who's seen more of the show. But a lot of those sort of early scenes are kind of meant to be over the top saccharine because it's not meant to be completely convincing, right? You okay. know the fact that um, so it's kind of trying to put a plaster on a he's polishing great big a t- gash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Jesus, <Anna. laughs> <That's, laughs> spoken like a true poet. <laughs> you should be reading poetry to strippers, you know that he. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> I can think of a bit of <laughs> that's, it. that's uh, going to get pulled as a drop for uh, somebody else. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to make myself comfortable and wait for Hannah to laugh it out. <laughs> Could you please just put a plaster on that? <laughs> it's very unseemly. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> God. Uh, it's when you get to that. Ooh, 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 <laughs> part of the, uh, 
Oh, I haven't laughed like that for a while. That's good. Needed that. Yeah, well, I'm sort of convinced he's gone. um, (laughs) Well, I mean, the, the... it's, it's probably worth mentioning a little bit about the... Uh, well, actually, no, let's get into it, because this will, this will come up naturally as, uh, as I sort of take us through it. And you say I'm immature for... Uh... <laughs> you are immature, but there's a reason you and I are married. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I'll keep you a minute. <laughs> right, okay. Go. Okay. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So, um... So we open up with that technique where it unpauses for the rain. Um, the other big influence on this that I think defines it from the X-Files is that the X-Files took a lot of its visual style from primarily, I think, from Twin Peaks mm. and um, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Now, I mentioned Manhunter, but the other, I think, really big influence on this show is Seven. Oh, yes, 100%. You know? yeah. um, right, The opening credits have even got that brown sepia kind yep. of... Yep, very uh, much so. And, you know, the music, you've got, like, you know, more human than human Isn't by Seven White set in Seattle as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, you know, Seattle and Washington, you know, you've got that X-Files, Twin Peaks. Like, and, and Seattle, obviously, you know, you had the grunge movie scenes, music scene, which was very intrinsic to, to Millennium. Millennium also uses a lot of, like, the X-Files is mainly score, but... In Millennium, they'll they use it's like, more sort of soundtrack. Like Nine Inch Nails, mm. um, Marilyn Manson, a lot of kind of heavy industrial gothic kind of rock mm. music is is in the show as well. Yeah, and I think that that's part of the year. And one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this is I think this is a real time capsule because the X Files started in '93 and this started in '96, but you can what really see it, a difference. What year did it run to? This '99. Mm. Um, Right. It got cancelled like six months before the millennium, which is again why. And I don't. Oh, know if of course. It, for, for anybody who maybe skipped the beginning of it to get to this, uh, I've, you know, the show ran for three. I think three seasons of like twenty-two or twenty-four episodes each, and then it got cancelled before they could finish the storyline. So they finished the storyline off in an episode of the X Files called Millennium, which was the episode of the X Files that aired in December nineteen ninety-nine. You know. So, so they got to sort of like finish uh, the 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 story off there, mm. but um, but yeah. So I think I think that seven is a is a is a very big influence on it. But and but like I say, one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this is I think that that the X Files obviously was still on at this time, and the X Files went on until it was all still on in the two thousands. You know, I mean, mm. gosh, there was a new season of it like a year or two ago, and there's you know there's there's probably going to be more. I don't think I think the X Files is a show will never end. You know, um, but. You can really see the difference between those three years. I yeah. think. I mean, although we were watching this in quite a shonky four-three um, standard definition, you, know, you can see that it's never been remastered as well as the X Files. I think visually, you know, if you compare this to season one of the X Files, this is much more visually sophisticated mm. um, because you know the X Files season one was done in nineteen ninety-three. So there was still a little bit of 80s, still a little bit of the shoulder pads, you know, and all that kind of stuff in the first season of the X-Files. Um, having said that, by the time you get to sort of the fourth season of the X-Files, which is the season that was on when this was airing, it they, the two shows look very similar. The X-Files had evolved its look to the point where it was much more cinematic and yeah. had it, those influences from things like David Fincher movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, you can really see that here in the establishing shots, the kind of the, you know, Seattle, you know, it rains 80% of the year, mm. you know. Um, so if you're going to have a sort of 
apocalyptic series. But I like that idea. I like the idea that it's the apocalypse, but it's not angels and demons necessarily. It's just serial killers and psychopaths and evil people. And, it's, you know. it's just people with bad mental health problems trying to justify doing bad things to people mm. who don't deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we got More Human Than Human by White Zombie playing in uh, the, the world's most depressing-looking strip club. It um, does look pretty depressing. And I noticed a mopper as well at one point as yeah. well. I thought, oh, you've got, you've got the worst job on television, mate. Yeah. Um, so we see a psycho getting a private show. Uh, and he's getting all these kind of like apocalyptic visions. And it's worth mentioning as well that this was a network show. This wasn't a HBO show. And considering it's the 90s, I mean, this is the era, you know, of, you know, the example I always use, the era of Baywatch and stuff like that. Yeah. It's pretty amazing what they actually get away with in this, considering yeah, absolutely. it's got those, you know, um, you know, it pushes it. Um, we see the the blacks turn up at um, the Yellow House. Um and we see the neighbour, and there he mentions that he's he's come from Washington to Seattle. He goes to see his friend Bletch. As I mentioned, he's an actor who was in Manhunt. He was in Miami Vice as well, actually. Uh, so we'll see him again when uh, we, we cover that in a couple of weeks. His neighbour mentions, oh, uh, oh, no, one of the cops says, um, oh, he's the guy who caught the guy. So he's very much like a Will Graham. He's listing Will Graham that he caught this famous serial killer. He had an element of um, celebrity. Yeah. As as a result of that. Um he asks about the stripper and her daughter. And basically it's the fact that you get the feeling it's the fact that she's got a daughter that's got through to him. He's got mm. this kind of I've got to try and save the world for my daughter thing going yeah. on here. Uh, and you get all this, these feelings that he he's got this sort of preternatural ability. He can see what's you know what's happened. Mm. And he says that they find a, a black male hair. Uh, like an African-American here. Mm. And he mentions that he's working with a, a consultant group as well, who we don't know that much about. Mm. And one of the things that the show does as well is it's always ambiguous as to the motives of the Millennium Group, one of the big story arc mysteries. And this is it's a much more story arc-driven show than The X-Files. Yeah. Like there are standalones, but the ongoing storyline He's in pretty much every episode, right? Okay. Um, you know, so it's a little different. Although by by that point in the X Files, there was more of a co- of a concentration of that ongoing storyline anyway as well. Mm. So I think that was just TV. Um, I like the fact that um, you know when he's talking to the stripper, there's a lot of stuff in this about in the show Millennium about just how awful men are. Yeah, um, like she says, you know men don't need a reason, they just need an excuse mm. to be violent. Uh, and he's seeing the vision and all this kind of stuff. So I think the idea being, you know, is he just really empathetic or is there something else going on? And I like the fact that the show doesn't tell you. You know, no. like, like most, and I think this is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why the show wasn't as successful is the fact that I think, first of all, I think it was just a little bit ahead of its time. I think people, I think now in this age of you know Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, The Fall, um, Luther, I think that your average mainstream audience have a higher tolerance to morbidity mm. than they did twenty five years ago. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is pre CSI or any of those sort of shows. Um, uh, and I just think that um, that back then, 
people wanted to know what a show was by the end of the first episode. They yeah. wanted to know kind of where they stood. Like, is this a sci-fi show? Is it a horror show? Is it a procedural? And I think at the end of the first episode, you kind of don't know what the show is. Like, is he going to be just solving a different crime every week? Is he, what, what is the oh, show? No, I thought, I thought it was quite good at sort of um, teasing out a few things that you don't know what's going on, but, you kind of get a sense of where it's heading. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I just to give a bit of context, I really like this episode, and I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed the rewatch of it. And I think that one of the things I remember about it when it was first on, and I think there's a little bit of you had to be there, both from the perspective of the fact that when this was aired, obviously the actual millennium was looming, so mm. you were as an audience member actually experiencing this this feeling that the show was trying to evoke. So there was that. And also there was the fact that there hadn't been another 25 years of serial killer TV shows after it, which we've all seen and kind of absorbed, you know, Hannibal and just all of these sort of things. Yeah, because that's the other thing is, like, there's a lot of that type of show now. Yeah. But back in the sort of mid to late 90s, no, um, so it, it... It was The X-Files was the only one. It was a lot stronger in terms of what it would elicit in terms of a reaction. Well, I remember it being a scandal. They were like a network TV show about serial killers. Mm. Like, you can't, what the fuck? Um, but now, it's like every other TV show is that. It's mm. There's nothing to yeah. it. But, um, I mean, true but, crime is such a massive genre in, its, in itself. Well, aside I would say, from, like, fictionalised I stuff. would say that true crime and fictionalised crime are probably the predominant genre yeah. in pop culture at the moment. But what I was getting at was that one of the things that I remember thinking at the time when I watched this that I felt like I can watch it tonight was I just found it really intriguing. I felt like what the pilot did do well was you've got some mystery about Frank's past. Mm. You've got the mystery of the Millennium Group. You've got the Polaroid Man and all mm. of that kind of element. So I feel like, you know, they put quite a lot in the tank. That, that I think if the... Because I think that, that if the I show... Like if the show appealed to you, and I think maybe this is where we diverge, is I think if the show appealed to you from a genre perspective, mm. there's enough seeding going on to make you kind of want to wanna watch. And the other thing that I like about Millennium, as well as the series, is each of the three seasons are really different. Right, like okay. each season ends with a really huge event that essentially makes the show a different thing for the next season. Right. And that's really interesting. And there's, um, I mean, there's, by the time it gets to the third season, they start doing like weird comedy episodes as well. Like with Darren Morgan, who writes, he hasn't written any X-Files yet. You'll know, you'll know when he pops up. He's the guy who writes the X-Files equivalents of like Once More With Feeling right, and okay. uh, Hush. And he's the guy who writes all of the kind of the off- brand episodes mm. of the X-Files. He um, goes over to work on Millennium. He actually left the X-Files to go and work on Millennium in like his second or third season. And there's some crazy episodes in it. Like there's one episode that Kiss are in as Kiss, but actually as their characters. So there is an elasticity to it, not as much as the X-Files, but I mean, I think that the, the, the X-Files has a sense of humour running through the whole of it. Yeah. Um, and there are some episodes that are, out and out, but once you get into the second and third season, there are episodes that are out and out, comedy, pure comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when it is, it isn't like that. There's still like the episode we watched last night. You know, it was a 
freaky one, you know, with mm. tombs and all that kind of stuff. But you've still got kind of Mulder telling Scully that he even tells his parents to call him Mulder. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just stuff like that yeah. that kind of just, you know, eases, eases you through it. Mm. But but I just get the feeling that Chris Carter, when he was making the X-Files, was really getting into all this true crime stuff. And I think he just wanted to, um, you know, take the... Take the plaster off the gash, quite frankly. It's the only way I can think of doing it. And kind of um, just really, really get in there. You know? Really get in there. Um, so we see all of the kind of, um, you know, the weird faces on the people when he goes cruising, the Frenchman. Mm. Uh, and one thing that Chris Carter's really good at is casting freaky-looking bastards to play yeah. serial killers. Yeah. He's got a good eye for a freaky-looking bastard. He does. You know, I mean, the the guy who plays Tombs, that was before the Green Mile, mm. you know, um, so they were finding these people. Uh, they find the burnt person in the empty box. And this is where I'm mentioning about Seven, you know, the writing on the box. It, I mean, it, that is straight out of Seven. Oh, you know? yeah. Um, he bumps into, I like the actor. Um, oh, yeah. The guy who plays Peter Watts, the consultant that gives him the file, mm. as played by a guy called Terry O'Quinn, who became very famous. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's playing Locke. But he... He's a regular on this show. He's in, I think, pretty much every episode. So this right. was kind of the first thing that I remember seeing him in. Right. He was in a horror movie called The Stepfather in the early 90s, but this was the thing that really kind of made him. And it's really confusing because he's in the X-Files as well, but he plays a different character in the X-Files. Oh, really? And we learn about how, you know, the Millennium Group is full of um, ex-law enforcement people. Uh, and he basically says that he just wants to make his wife and kid feel safe. That's his motivation. Mm. Um and he jokes about how he's a lucky guesser. One of the other things that I like about this show as well is that it feels very much like it's part of what at the time was a burgeoning um, growth in gothic detection. Mm. And basically, it all goes back to Sherlock Holmes, you know, the the, the, the gaslights in the foggy streets of London. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, obviously uh, things like Kolchak, Night Stalker, and then you've got Twin Peaks, and then American Gothic, um, Silence of the Lambs, Manhunter, and then and Seven. And then, of course, you know, the X-Files and this. And, mm. you know, it's very much the the modern iconography is, and I think that Twin Peaks, the X-Files, and Millennium were really key in creating the visual language of this. And, you know, it, it's all the things like um, torches at night in forests. Yeah. And, um, you know, yellow police line, do not cross. And just all of these sort of accoutrements of um, of that are what make it the, the gothic detection. Whereas, you know, the smoke of London and uh, yeah. the Victorian stuff was the equivalent. So in, in, there's a real lineage there, you know. Yeah. And all of these shows influence things like that Morgan Freeman film, Along Came a Spider. Yeah. And I know that's based on a book, but... All of that kind of stuff. Well, a lot of the modern shows as well, like the even the British ones, like you know, The Fall is. A, I mean, obviously, Gillian Anderson's oh, yeah. in that for Christ's yeah. sake, you know. Uh, and I don't think her She's cast- fantastic. What, in that. And I don't think her casting was any mistake. Yeah, you know, I think that there was an element of not she, stunt casting. She is incredible yeah. in that. But just just the fact that it's like that's her wheelhouse, you mm. know. Um, and also, and you know, and shows like Luther and stuff like that as well. They all feel like mm. they come out of that. Um, you know, whether it's the foggy streets of Victorian London Even or the smoky woods of to Northern. A yeah, I mean, yeah, I know that, as well. that was earlier, but um, 
Prime Suspect was 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, Prime Suspect was uh, about 89, I think, mm. something like that. But um, So we see uh, Watts from the Millennium Group come and see him, and he talks about how the resources are available to him, and you get the intimate that the Millennium Group is actually quite a big thing, mm. you know, that it's almost like, you know... Um, Almost like she it's the shield of the serial killer world. And one of the things that I like about the show Millennium, and you only get a hint of it here, I think it was also a bit of an influence on the John Wick films. Yeah. Because you know, in the John Wick films, there's this whole mythology about the assassins and they've got all of these rules and all these places. Mm. As Millennium goes on, the world expands and you realise that the Millennium group is just one group, and there's this whole almost society of law enforcement people who deal with weird shit mm. and that the X-Files is just part of this kind of larger world well, of crazy it, stuff. It's like sort of... massive dynamic. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. So like one of the things that they sort of hint about in the pilot is that all of our resources are available to you. But what does that mean? What does he mean by, you know, how much resources do they have? Yeah, yeah. You know? and, I've, and the show, it's funny, it starts so small but I think about, like a lot of these shows, and it's the same with like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or any show, you know, I, I think about where it gets to and yeah. how much it grows, the mythology of the show. And, and it just starts with just two or three people and this guy with his family catching a serial killer. It's just yeah. so... so uh, but, but there are little glimpses of, yeah. of, of all of that in there. And I, I, that, that's one of the great things I love about geeky stuff. I, I like the fact that... Um, when he goes to speak to his wife. And I do like this scene with his wife, actually, when he walks in, because I like the fact that she's not... And she doesn't nag. She's not like, oh, I wish you could leave this life behind. No, um, not at she all. She knows no. that he does it, and she's not... She'd prefer it if he didn't. She's uh, not busting his chops. No, 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 exactly. No. And she says, look, you know, you, you can't stop the world from seeping in. Mm. And he basically says, um, just pretend I can. Mm. I, you know, I need to hear that. Yeah. And one of the other things as well is that the whole thematic underpinning of the show is, and science fiction and genre television does this. You know, I've talked, we've talked about it a million times, whether it be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Star Trek or whatever. Mm. It'll take some thematic real-world elements and sci-fi-ify it. Mm. And I think that the real-world element, that one of the real-world elements that this show takes and applies a genre coating on it, is how powerful the feeling, the urge of a parent to protect their child is. Yeah. And the show's kind of about that, and yeah. about how, well, how would that look in a world where maybe, it's not out and out science fiction, but things kind of go up to can go up to 11, well, you know, and as as it gets explained further on, you know, they didn't think they were going to be able to conceive, and she sort of came out of nowhere. Well, he actually calls her a miracle, and of yeah. course, this being a Chris Carter show, you know, you're like, is that metaphorical? Mm. But like, it, I suppose for the character, it heightens everything even more. You know, he was never expecting to have this child, yeah. so the fact that he's got her, yeah, means. Um, you know, something that would have been considered a danger of like four out of ten yeah. is now a eleven out of ten. Yeah, and and it's it's like it's 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 like helicopter parenting taken up to a hundred. Yeah. You know? Um. So the and this is where I've got that like you know 
I think Lance Henriks is just great. There is a coldness, but there is the humanity there as well. And um, I haven't seen him in a lot of things, but I, I really oh, like him. He's got a real presence, you yeah. know, like almost like a kind of, I don't know, it's weird. It's almost like a a more textured, less macho Clint Eastwood or something. You I know. was I was going to say he's got a little bit of a Charles Bronson vibe about him. Yeah, yeah, but there's but he's but he's a really good actor. <laughs> no, yeah, no yeah, Charles no. Bronson. I like Charles Bronson. But, yeah, but he like is a very different. But you can tell that Lance yeah. Henriksen, you know, he's he's a proper actor. Yeah, you know? oh, 100%. Um, and so he's trying to work out the words. He sees the pest or peste uh, or pesto, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at the grave and oh god, you know. She's trying to get some fucking pesto out of this. <laughs> um, so we're in the park. He gives chase. I like that moment as well, the way that it's never explained. It's almost as like him and the serial killer just recognise each other as like kindred spirits or something. Mm-hmm. Like he looks at him, instantly runs away. It's yeah. as though they just, there's a simpatico like, kind of I thing know going who you on. Are. Yeah. So we see that he gets away. We see the briefing and he talks about the poem and. Uh, the apocalypse, and again, Nostradamus. It's so funny how you know you couldn't, you couldn't. I mean, swing a cat without hitting Nostradamus back in the late nineties. But now it's just, it's as though everyone's like, "Well, we survived that." What the fuck does Nostradamus know? You know, it still terrifies me. I think that he's mad. That statistic as well. And I think that was true at the time about there only ever being one black serial killer. Yeah, ever recorded? It's like it's just a real. Maybe that's what. <laughs> maybe that's what that. Job, Robbie Coltrane show was called Cracker. <laughs> I know it was his name. <laughs> but, um, so uh, I, I like the the, the the moments where it pulls back in this as well, like when he says that he can see what the guy sees and he's like, and they're like, well, how does he see? And he says, he, he sees things differently. They're like, yeah, but what does he see? And he just looks at him and he says, he sees differently. Yeah. Almost like you, you just, you don't want to fucking know, man. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and uh, that's the sort of thing that Lance Hendrickson plays really well, you know? Yeah. Um, I like the fact that when he does that briefing scene and the cops are like, well, I'm not buying into it. And you can see that his friend is sort of wants to help him, but has to do the right thing. And he's like, no, I'm sorry. I like the fact that Frank doesn't get pissed off. No. He just packs his stuff up and he sort it's of, like, you know, puts, puts yeah. his hand on the guy's arm. He's like, oh, thanks. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get home to my family. Yeah, now, yeah. You know? There's no history. And the, I think... Because Mulder would have been like, we, we, you have to fucking, you know, yeah. he'd have been... But I think there. um, there's an air of, I know you're not going to believe this. Like, it's not going to stop me profiling this guy. But, yeah. like, if you can get on board, that'd be great. Well, I suppose also he's got the Millennium Group as well, so he, he, he There's kind less of, sense of desperation. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's not... I mean, I guess with Mulder, there's, there's a goal... Mm. I mean, with Frank, it's more of a reactive thing. Mm. Well, I suppose that's a big difference is that Frank's a reactive hero, whereas Mulder's a proactive hero mm. in the way that Mulder's on he's a quest. He's seeking it out, yeah. He's like, you know, the truth is out there. I want to believe, mm. I, you know, whereas um, Frank's trying to sort of hold the line yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so it's, they're very different characters in that regard. Mm. Um, I mean, if anything, I mean, Frank, Frank Black's probably closer to Scully in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and he says that he's not a psychic. He says it's his gift and it's his curse. Um, and he's and I like the fact that his friend just says, "Look, get out, Frank. Just don't. Mm. Just you know." And he asks him what brought him back, and he says, "Some other time, I'll tell you." So again, it's like you know, 
it's only a 45 minute episode they get a lot in um yeah. and but they are it's as though they're saying to the audience we'll we'll come back to this yeah. you know um his daughter has a seizure um and this is where he realizes when he sees the blood sample being taken that the that the killer's taking blood uh, but they're still buried alive and this is where his white white side look go frank she's like um adrian in the rocky movies yeah like go fight go fight him, rocky. yeah win win for us um great hey, shot she when just you... sees win she Sorry? doesn't say win for us she sees win well, in which time there's like six of these fucking things um, but the um Great shot when you see them on the side of the river and there's like 30 cops and all the flashlights are going. Yeah. Uh, they cross the river to find the box. Um, and there's a bloody nightmarish image of the guy with his eyes and mouth sewn up. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a, not a pleasant. And there's a head in there with him as well, just for good measure as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you definitely have some PTSD yeah. after that. Um, and they find the, uh, they get a description as, uh, to say that he's white. So obviously he planted the hair. Um, and I like, I like the way that, um, Bletch says to him, you know, 18 years I've been doing this job and I've, I've uh, never seen anything like this. So Frank's like, have you ever seen your, your kid on a bed in the emergency ward? I expect him to go, well, that's nowhere as bad as that fucking mad shit that we saw. Like, it's fuck all compared to that our guy with his eyes sewn up. Like. <laughs> that's what I thought too. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, ever I seen your kid in the emergency ward? Fuck all, mate. <laughs> I saw it tonight. Nothing compared to that madness. <laughs> he had a fucking head in there with him as well. <laughs> 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 but so he tells the story this is where he tells the story of the serial killer the Polaroid man um, and uh, that feels very fringy as well you know mm. the finding something in the post yeah uh, he talks about how they moved and um, and basically it's where he's, he alludes to the fact that the Millennium Group feel like something's coming mm. uh, and it's very vague you know at this point but that's yeah. obviously going to be something that the show's going to be about exploring um, yeah. And um, he realises the guy works at the blood bank. And this really reminded me of Manhunter in the way that the, the killer worked at the photo lab mm. in that. And he was seeing the photographs. So there's a, there's a, real, there's a real plot similarity there yeah. as well. Um, and I like the, the way that the killer responds as well, that he sees Frank and immediately just go, who are you to condemn me? Mm. And just goes into this. And again, he... It's no trying to get away from it. It's just he's yeah. He, he, he's just it's, it makes you wonder how he goes just functions at work. Yeah. yeah, like what's he like in the break room? Yeah, you know. Um, but the the thing that I like about it is that Frank can read him, but you get the feeling it goes both ways. Yeah, it's almost like oh, very much. It's a connection like yeah. that, that that he shares with these people yeah. as opposed to it just being him looking him you know as a profiler. Yeah, mm. um, and he and. When the guy gets shot, he says, you know the end is coming. You think mm. you can stop it, but you can't. Um, but um, and then he gets shot. And then we see Frank. Basically, you know, Frank comes home with a dog. And that's like the yellow house. He's like, he's doing everything that he can to create mm. this perfect life. But, you know, it's you know that sooner or later, um, well, it's all bleeding it's gonna, it's, it's, something's going to get in the house. You know, yeah. there's, there's just that feeling. Yeah. Um, Lance Henriksen looks really weird when he smiles. He does. Um because he got shouldn't very perfect take. Um and um he I, I like the way that he plays it as well, where he opens the thing and you see him put his hand inside the letter and he obviously because Polaroids have a particular feeling to them, mm. and his wife walks past and he's like, No, no, everything's fine. And that's the point as well where you realise that that's his first mistake because he shouldn't lie to her. No. You know, yeah. and they have a conversation about and, it. She's and like, she's like, specifically said don't protect don't, her from it. 
I yeah. don't I can't cope with secrecy. But he again it's like he doesn't want anything to sort of get into the yellow house and uh but uh, yeah, any final thoughts on this Hannah, before we wrap things up? Uh, I'm I'm really pleased we watched it. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was a good sorbet episode. And also when we get to that episode of the X-Files you'll be able to go, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I'd I'd give it a seven out of ten. I thought it was fairly solid. Nice. Um I'd I'd watch more but I'm. I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, and I really enjoyed this rewatch, and I think it is. I think it's an awesome show. I think that again. I mean, I, I, my music analogies. It's a little bit how when when a musician is at that peak, you know, like Prince in like 1987, 1988, mm. anything that he recorded was just going to be good. And I think that what happened with the X Files was by the time they got to the fourth season, and we've talked about this on Agents of Shield. I think that. He and his crew, because like a lot of his other writers in the X Files, you know, Darren Morgan, Glenn Morgan, and James Wong, uh, Frank Spotnitz, um, you know, um, Vince Gilligan from mm. you know who go on to do Breaking Bad and all those shows. Yeah, they were all his. They, they that was, he had basically he had one of the greatest crew. writers' room that's ever existed. Yeah, and um, they were really trucking. By the time he got to season four of the X Files, a lot of people see think season four of the X Files is just. Is pound for pound the best best season of the show, mm. and it's just they were just making great shit, mm. and I think that um, Millennium just was Chris Carter stepping slightly outside of the X Files and kind of just you know getting his rocks off a little bit, yeah. and um, of course it was good because the people who did that, and I think that I understand why. I mean, I understand why it wasn't as big as the X Files because apart from Friends, nothing on television was as big as the X Files. Mm. Um, so of course it wasn't going to be, but I think that audiences weren't ready for a TV show uh, with a you know middle aged man mm. as the lead uh, dealing with um, darkness like mm. that. Um, yeah, I think that people were like, you know what, the X Files is dark enough, thanks. Yeah. Um, and and it's funny as well because thinking about it, and I've literally only just made this connection for three years of the X-Files that Millennium was on are all aware the X-Files did its most comedic stuff. Like the tone of the X-Files during those years was very similar to Buffy and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., very witty and light and funny, but with dramatic stuff. Mm. And I think partly that was because they were like putting all the dark shit into Millennium. Yeah. And they they kind of extracted it out of the X-Files and sort of put it over here. So I think that that was the peak years for the popularity of the X Files because the show was. And I don't say this critically; they're my favourite seasons. The show was just very entertaining. The X Files mm. was very entertaining during those years, yeah. and I think that in part it was because all of the dark shit that Chris Carter wanted to do, he was getting to do in this show. So, mm. uh, but uh, but it is a really interesting rewatch, and I definitely do place it with shows like Murder One and American Gothic. Those yeah, shows that were kind so. of you know just really good, mm. but just didn't connects with the zeitgeist in the way Just that the means mm. but they're still watched today in the way that you know your Seinfelds and you know yeah. whatever are but yeah. uh, um, okay so what are we talking about next time Anna? Uh, next time we are talking about the 1984 film classic Terminator excellent synopsis says well, that's Henderson's in it a human soldier is sent from 2029 to 1984 to stop an almost indestructible cyborg killing machine 
sent from the same year which has been programmed to execute a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. Oh God, we've had a couple of real, really lengthy, spoilery synopsis from IMDb, Indeed. haven't we? Um, it is uh, directed by James Cameron and written by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd. Yes. Um, starring... Arnold but will it be a gay land turd? Or will it? The reason I picked this is for Linda Hamilton um, and her characterization of Sarah Connor. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Good choice. Looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. I'm um, looking forward to it too. Okay. So, quick reminder feedback, feedback, feedback. Rewatch Project Podcast at gmail.com. Check out our friend shows, YouTube comments, and Spotify and Apple Podcast reviews. That is us for now, though, guys. We will be back very soon to talk about the Terminator. Hasta la vista, baby. Laters. Laters.